Welcome to the Creative Pen Podcast. I'm Joanna Penn, thriller author and creative entrepreneur, bringing you interviews, inspiration and information on writing, publishing options and marketing ideas for your book. You can find the episode show notes, your free author blueprint and lots more information at thecreativepen.com and that's pen with a double N. And here's the show. Hello creatives, I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode number 528 of the podcast and it is Sunday the 17th of January 2021 as I record this short introduction to this in-betweenisode. So I was interviewed on Len Edgerly's Kindle Chronicles podcast in December 2020, just after my book Artificial Intelligence, Blockchain and Virtual Worlds, the impact of converging technologies on authors and the publishing industry was released. And uh, Len is an enthusiastic (laughs) technologist, a bit like me. So he emailed me like as soon as it was published and we jumped on a call. So I interviewed Len back in episode 505 on changes in the publishing industry over the last decade and possible changes ahead, including the regulation of big tech. And we share this love of technology and trying to understand how it might impact the publishing industry. We're both curious and read a lot of the same books. And in this interview, we talk about writing with AI and GPT-3 in particular, blockchain and copyright, how virtual bookstores might work, how changes are accelerating due to the pandemic and how a positive attitude towards technology can help us surf the changes ahead rather than drown in them. And we have uh, quite a few laughs. It's a, a upbeat conversation. And uh, I highly recommend Len's podcast, Kindle Chronicles, which is certainly not just about the Kindle. It's quite wide ranging, but he interviews a lot of uh, big name traditionally published authors. He's interviewed um, Jeff Bezos. Uh, he's interviewed Dean Koontz and and also a load of successful indies as well. He's very open-minded and loves to learn, which I super appreciate. And you can find the Kindle Chronicles podcast on your favourite podcast app or at thekindlechronicles.com. So I hope you enjoy this discussion between me and Len. Hi, this is Len Edgerly. Welcome to the Kindle Chronicles. Today is Friday, December 18th, 2020. I'm coming to you from Sanibel Island in Florida. As we approach the end of a year that has taxed the resilience of any optimist, techno or otherwise, I'm pleased to bring you a full-length conversation with Joanna Penn, whose latest book about artificial intelligence, blockchain, and virtual worlds, I think is a terrific jumping-off point for thinking creatively about the future for authors, readers, and the world of publishing. Let's get right to it. Joanna Penn writes nonfiction for authors, and as J.F. Penn, she writes thrillers and dark fantasy. Her podcast, The Creative Pen, is a weekly feast of useful information for authors and anyone interested in the written word or the future. In the middle of the night on November 28th here in Sanibel, I saw that Joanna had released a new Kindle book, really a long essay in Kindle format. It's titled Artificial Intelligence and Virtual Worlds, The Impact of Converging Technologies on Authors and the Publishing Industry. I began reading it immediately, and that uh, was a problem for getting a good night's sleep that night, because I take her 
view of technology in the future as being fresh, intelligent, and entertaining. I reached out to her for an interview, and we spoke this Tuesday, December 15th this week, connecting by Skype between here in Sanibel and her home in Bath, England. I began by asking why she wrote her latest Kindle title. Basically, I've been into this, like you, I'm into technology. I follow a lot of blogs. I've been reading Wired magazine for many years. I listen to a lot of tech podcasts. Uh, so I've been aware of it. And on my main podcast, the Creative Pen podcast, I share a few futurist topics in the introduction every couple of weeks just to keep people up to date on things. And then about 18 months ago, I did a big solo show. It was about an hour on the nine ways I thought this publishing and authors would be disrupted by AI in the next decade. And since then, so that was July 2019, I've been like, I really must do an update on this. And then I think it was July 2020, or maybe May this year, as we record this, GPT-3 was released by OpenAI. And I, I must admit, I had a few moments of, oh my goodness, this is such a fundamental thing. And then I took some time to process that. And let's tell what GPT-3 is. Yes. So, so basically, there's a company called OpenAI, and their essential goal is to create a general artificial intelligence, which if people don't know, we're surrounded by narrow artificial intelligences, which do specific things. But this is something that would apply in multiple domains, more like a human in different ways. But GPT-2, so this is a transformer technology. Essentially, it ingests, or we could say reads, uh, a whole load of data. And in this case, it's written language data. And then it enables the natural language language processing engine to output other text-based or language-based material. So what they found, so GPT-2 was again 18 months ago, and GPT-3 is 100 times more powerful with some ridiculous craziness like six million or billion times the amount of knowledge you or I could read in a lifetime. And what it can output, it doesn't just output sentences, it can output articles, but it can also write code. It can do poetry. It can do things that people didn't expect it to do. And it's not plagiarized. So it's not like when you type into Google, tell me how big Canterbury Cathedral is, or you get Wikipedia and you can't just copy that. But what GPT-3 does is it comes up with something that is original. And the other thing that happened this year is the first um, AI written article was granted copyright under a Chinese court. And I've been engaging with the World Intellectual Property Organization, the UK government in writing submissions on on artificial intelligence and copyright. So to, to try and wrap the story up, basically this year has been this tipping point in so many ways, the pandemic has accelerated it. And I think I'm really worried that the authors and the publishing industry are not engaging in this. Like literally, it has been impossible to get people interested in talking about this and even submitting to World Intellectual Property Organization. So in the end, we've just done this stuff. Me and my friend, the founder of the Alliance of Independent Authors, Orna Ross, we've done these submissions ourselves, despite asking a number of different organizations to be involved. So I think I just feel that it's a really important time in history. And we it's this is too important to leave technology to all the techie people. We have to get involved as artists, as creatives, as rights holders, as people whose livings depend on this in the future. So I guess all of the and then to go even further, this was going to be a podcast episode, but it turned into uh, a lot bigger than just an episode. And so I put it into a book and I'm really glad I did because 
because it solidifies a moment in time and I will do more of these things. But as writing something down helps you turn your random thoughts into something more coherent. So I, I hope you thought it was coherent. Oh, absolutely. I think that was uh, part of the power of it was the clarity of it. And, and I was also interested because I think it's about 60 pages if, if they were on print pages. It's basically an essay, isn't it? it it's like an essay that you wrote and were able to distribute on the Kindle platform. But is that how you think oh, of it? Well, it's, um, it is here. Here's the print book. Oh, so, it is in print too. Good. Yeah, it is in print. And I'm, What is uh, that thing you're holding up there? <laughs> I remember those. <laughs> yes, it's a print book. Actually, though, uh, because of, of something I read in your book on my Kindle, I had to buy a hard copy book of the One the Road. And I, said, I have that on my desk there's too. There's got to be uh, an ebook version of this. I said, well, all right. And they, you know, the I've truck I've got another one for me. you. This is Pharmaco AI. And for people listening, we're, we're sharing AI Centaur writer books. This one, Pharmaco AI, which is brand new, is actually uh, written with GPT-3. Oh, really? Wow. So this, whereas the one you're holding, One the Road, is written by a sort of earlier edition. And this of is an three years ago. I was amazed that something mm. going this creatively into the whole space had, had happened in 2017. Exactly. And I think this is what happened as well. So I went to, I don't know if you know about the UK has a conference called Future Book, which is obviously meant to be a future conference. And I attended that and was bashing my head against my Zoom screen because it feels, it felt like they were 10 years behind. Like literally I heard a publisher say, this has not been done before, this simultaneous publishing in multiple countries at the same time. And I'm like, but I've been doing that myself, <laughs> little old me, since 28, was it 2008 or whatever it is. And then the same week, I went to the Wired live conference online mm -hmm. and heard Demis Hesavis from DeepMind. I heard people from Virtual Worlds conference and just so many things where I was, I found it very hard to keep these two organizations in my head at the same time going, oh my goodness, I'm in the middle of these. I love publishing. I love books. I'm an author. I desperately want us to move into this realm of possibility. How do I make people come along too? <laughs> it reminds me of the reaction to ebooks 10 years ago or however many, 2007, the Kindle, and the, the slowness with which the publishing industry reacted and actually the resistance. It was a real effort mm. to just stop this wave like King Canute at the shore. And it almost seems like... This is a similar wave in terms of its impact. And if anything, the adoption rate is even slower than it was from ebooks. You, you would have thought there would have been people at publishing companies who said, boy, we, if we had known then what we know now about ebooks, we would have jumped on this thing. We wouldn't have let Amazon completely dominate the space. And But am I right that you're sensing there haven't been lessons learned like that in terms of the urgency of staying current with this technology on behalf of the book industry? Yes, but I, then I guess I also represent people who are independent creators, and this right. is a much bigger in the music industry and the start and the film industry. Independent filmmakers, independent musicians, now independent authors. I already I sell digitally globally. I sell direct. I sell eBooks and audio and print and all these things I do myself. And and if you think it's very it's much easier to be nimble when you're a one person company than it is a huge conglomerate whose mm -hmm. business model has 
has not been threatened until 2020 because, of course, publishers, their job, they make money by selling books to booksellers. They don't Mm -hmm. actually make money by selling books to readers. So what's happening and some most of this technology, so digital technology, ebooks, for example, enabled my living to -hmm. happen. You and I as podcasters, we are enabled by technology and it gets rid rid of the middlemen. We don't need a radio uh, platform. We we just do our thing. Mm -hmm. And the same with books. You can employ freelancers, as I do, editors, cover designers. So what I see with this new wave, and as you know a bit about blockchain, we can come back to it, it really does get rid of the middlemen. And it's going to disintermediate a whole load more people in the supply chain. Even things like I do all my I do payments through Stripe and PayPal and things like that. Even those companies are now looking at how they're going to use this type of blockchain and direct peer to peer sales because this is the way things are going to go. So what I see with publishing is it is a not a very technologically savvy industry. And as you say, resistant, but book physical books are not going away. You and I know that we love physical books. But equally, I want to sell globally on every device. Mm -hmm. And I want to get paid for my knowledge. And this is the only way I see doing it. And even payments in the publishing industry, it is so antiquated. Like, how they manage, I don't know. And I, so many authors who do end up auditing these platforms find issues, of course, because they're so manual. So what I'm seeing in this next wave is just an even better way for authors, for publishers, for everyone in the book-loving supply chain to to expand the wealth. And as I'm a techno-optimist, I think you are mm-hmm. as well. And so I don't see this as a negative. I see this as a huge positive, but we do need to make some changes. <laughs> yeah. And that, that brings brings us to blockchain because, uh, as you say in, the, in your essay, in your book, the whole issue of copyright in this environment is potentially a huge bar to innovation with AI. First of all, I'd love to hear you explain what blockchain is, because I've tried to explain it to my family and everything, and my dad is 93, and we've had some just really fun conversations where I'm saying, all right, imagine a theater, and everybody has a laptop, and somebody on the stage says, I'm buying this from Joanna for $10, and all the laptops write it down, and then it's distributed. But I've heard other attempts to do it, but do you have a, a way to visualize what blockchain is that would help somebody that isn't in our space understand the significance of it? To be honest, what I do is just cut out the technical explanation because most people use the internet every day and they do not know how TCP IP works. Good point. They don't need to. Uh, we use internet banking all the time. We order stuff on Amazon or we order groceries on our phone and they arrive. So you don't have to understand how the internet works in order to use it. So what I tend to say to people is, Remember how it was in the 90s or even the early 2000s when we weren't running everything on a mobile device or we weren't doing uh, this, although Skype was probably one of the earlier um, adoptions. But remember when this wasn't normal, when you couldn't just do this for free over the Internet. So what I say to people, because this is the big thing about blockchain, I think people confuse it with Bitcoin. So they go, oh, it's a scam. And it's no. Think about one of those terrible websites that's... Bitcoin has a lot of great things going for it, but people get confused. Whereas mm-hmm. it's okay, Bitcoin is not blockchain technology. Yes, it's part of it. But what we're talking about is a fundamental redesign of an architecture 
around the platforms that we use to run business. And what we're moving into in the next decade, this is being, as you probably know, this is being put in by governments, by banks, by the infrastructure that we run society. There is some, I think, Estonia, digital voting, blockchain. Amazon has blockchain as a service on AWS. This is not new and it's not but it's not mainstream yet so you won't get out your phone and use most people won't get out their phone and use a blockchain app but that's what's coming so what i'm looking at now and i think what we're on a sort of third or fourth iteration of what people are realizing this technology can be for so yes it can be for payments so i just say think about paypal on steroids with fewer fees <laughs> mm-hmm. would be one way. And then the second thing, this smart contract idea is what truly has set my mind aflame. At the moment, we register for what is a faintly ridiculous ISBN, which has no functionality <laughs> whatsoever crazy and if people say to me or can you prove that you have a copyright on your work i'm like okay here's a certificate that i got from some online place and i'm like this how does this actually prove that this is my copyright (laughs) (laughs) and then for publishers they sign contracts everyone's relying on paper like a lot of the time i say to authors what does your contract say and they won't know because they signed it a decade ago and no one can find it and so the idea of smart contracts is we could decide let's say with this podcast. This is a piece of intellectual property that we both co-own because we're both co-producing it. And what we could do is say, all right, we're going to attach a um, blockchain IP number to this piece of uh, work. And it's going to, some other people can use it in their models and train it with a British voice and an American Mm -hmm. voice. And we could get a micropayment and we don't need to be involved. We just know that it will trigger, we'll get paid. It's awesome. And so that's exciting. And then you think, What else could it do? It could enable, for example, management of entire intellectual property estates. So one of the issues when people die is how do you manage all the disbursements or even while you're alive? What if I want to give 10% to charity for every sale? And if a sale is 0.5 cents, all of these micropayments are what will go through. And then, of course, just to, I know I'm getting excited, but thinking about streaming, thinking about the models of payments that are happening now, we can't split like we used to. You cannot split an audiobook on Spotify into $1.99 or, you know, 99 cent payments. It's a tiny micropayment for seconds listened to or whatever it is. So we have to redesign all of this stuff for what is the architecture of the future and it has to be distributed and it has to be fair and it has to be transparent and we just don't have that right now we have to trust that people are being honest (laughs) so what this does it has the potential to make everything a lot better Obviously, we're going to have to migrate things onto blockchain architecture. But in my mind, this really could transform things. And for creators, for for people like us who create stuff, this is very exciting. But we have to say that it's not there yet, but it's definitely coming because companies like Spotify, Facebook, Amazon are having to solve this problem. And in fact, as we speak this week, I think the EU uh, digital 
think it's Digital Services Act or something, is I going through. Yeah. yeah, which means that these companies have to mm. verify the uh, background of the stuff that it's uploaded. And so they need a technological solution. So what I would say is publishing won't do this themselves. This will be forced upon publishing this will be forced upon people slowly based on the changes of the ecosystem that we use to manage everything we do and that that's the way it's going to work basically when i think about the independent writer uh the creator where where so much of the energy is coming from as opposed to how slow the naturally the, the large organizations have to use i think of when ebooks first came out Amazon released Kindle Direct Publishing the same day as the as announcing the first Kindle, and and KDP over time it got easier and easier. If you had a little bit of technical savvy, you could put your book up on KDP, and in 24 hours it's on Amazon, and it was all sort of user friendly. Do you picture as this rolls out in the next 10 years, there's some kind of a way for uh, a person of average to maybe moderate tech savvy? to organize payments for an article they write on the blockchain or it's it's pretty opaque now to me i i've bought a couple of bitcoin at a nice price it's 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 a nice investment over the last two years but it's it just gave me a migraine to try to think about actually going out on the blockchain to try to do that so i just use coinbase's which is one of the exchanges but at some point for it to really be of use to independent creators it has to be a little more user-friendly than it, it seems to be right now just to use the tool. Yeah, absolutely. And it will be, I think, the same. So, for example, I use Stripe um, and PayPal. So if you want to buy an ebook or an audiobook directly from me, you can go to my Payhip, Payhip store at uh, payhip.com forward slash the creative pen, and you can choose to pay with PayPal or Stripe. Now, you can use things that you understand. So you, as you're quite tech savvy, but someone yeah. can use their credit card. They don't even need a pay- PayPal account. Uh-huh. So you can use a credit card. You can use a PayPal account. But what happens is the money ends up in through my, through the Stripe interface, it will end up in my bank account uh, within minutes, which is just marvelous. And most authors don't have that because they don't they haven't set that up. Now, that's actually really easy to set up. And I'm going to do I'm actually going to do a tutorial on how to do it next year. But so what you have is all these companies. So yes, at heart, this is still a technological domain. And I am not someone I'm not a programmer. I'm not intending to go in and be programming anything on the on blockchain <laughs> technology. But what I am is someone who's willing to try new apps. So for example, this direct audio has only happened in the last couple of weeks, like literally, as I was about to press publish on that book, I got access to book funnel audio app, which enables me to sell directs and have people listen in an app on their phone. Now, that's the type of thing that's going to happen. You won't, again, you don't need to know how to code HTML to use the internet. And it will be the same with blockchain. It will be the same with a lot of these AI tools. You don't need to be a programmer already. Mm -hmm. You just need to, what you do need is a trusted curator who will tell you, go to this website and mm-hmm. do this. And that's what I've been doing for the last that's decade anyway, around the various sites. And to be fair, I actually think possibly Amazon KDB can be quite complicated. Certainly mm-hmm. something yeah. like Facebook advertising is terribly complicated. That's right. That's right. So yeah, so this will actually simplify things. So just coming back to AI rather than blockchain, 
I now use Amazon auto advertising mm -hmm. for my books in German, which were translated by AI, edited by a human. But <laughs> I use automated AI algorithm advertising because I don't speak German. <laughs> so you just tell you tell the Amazon ad what books to advertise. You tell it your budget. And it will go and optimize that without you having to do anything. Wow. So what we're looking at, and again, this is the techno optimism. What we want to do is use technology to optimize the things that we really don't want to do. So I don't want to do my accounting. I want these tools to do it for me. I don't want to do my advertising. I hate advertising, but I know it's a thing that you have to do. But I love that the algorithm would do it for me. And so I, I think that the AI tools, the blockchain technology, these will automate and make our lives easier so we can spend more time doing the things we enjoy, which is creating and chatting to each other about <laughs> technological stuff. I love the idea of a, a, a techno-optimist. and uh, I, I know some techno-pessimists. I think I might be married to one. Is there a dialogue between people that are as positive and optimistic about this as you and I are and someone who either through fear or sometimes philosophical reasons that this is just the wrong path for humanity is uh, fighting it. Is there a healthy dialogue that can happen between people that are just coming at this same reality of the technology from very different human perspectives? Yeah, I think you have to find your common ground and most people don't realize how much AI is already in a lot of the things we use. So, for example, most people, even if they're not that technical, if they're using the Internet, they're using Google. And Google is, I mean, they own DeepMind now, which is the company um, that came up with AlphaGo. And now, in fact, as we speak this week, AlphaFold, which came out of DeepMind, solved the problem of protein folding, which could revolutionize drug design. It seriously is one of the biggest scientific breakthroughs in health wow. in a very long time. And this is a, a, an AI tool. Hmm. So what I would say is for people who feel pessimistic, then it's finding some common ground around what is important. And what is hilarious this year, the pandemic year, hopefully it's the only pandemic year, but this is the main pandemic year, yeah. is that the breakthroughs in healthcare, because we have focused on it, have been incredible. And the money that's been poured into it, we will reap the benefits of this if we can stay alive long enough. <laughs> and so that's what's exciting. And I don't think there are many people who would say, I don't want better healthcare. The other thing I think about is the environment. And certainly Kevin Kelly's written about this. Have you read Novacine by James Lovelock? No. What is, what's the oh, title? Novacine, uh -huh. so N-O-V-A-C-E-N-E -E by James Lovelock. So James Lovelock came up with the Gaia hypothesis back in the 70s or something. Independent scientist, brilliant guy. He's over 100 now. And his oh. he has been, he really, his last book was like, we are destroying the planet humans deserve to die. <laughs> and this latest book, Novacine, he basically says that we are in such deep trouble, but we cannot, the human brain cannot possibly solve these problems, but AI can. Ah. So this book is wonderful because you realize that what we're looking at is there are so many variables that we're looking at with mm -hmm. the environment, with health. There are big issues that AI will help us solve in collaboration with humans pointing it at, in that direction. So when I and it's ridiculous, I focus on authors and publishing, but that's my domain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but what I would say is that when people 
it's the media as well. The media will focus on some negative thing. The self-driving cars, I think, is something else this week. I think Uber have just pulled out of this. They're not going to go with the self-driving of, on their own company because one of their cars killed someone mm-hmm. or killed the driver or something. And But if you look at the trade-offs with self-driving cars, the number of lives saved will be just dramatic and will just change so many things. So we are going to have to face these trade-offs. And again, copyright is an interesting thing because, and what I read in some of these submissions on intellectual property, I was reading between the lines that copyright 70 years after the death of the author is holding up the data being used in these models. And if you hold up progress, they are going to change the law and you are the ones who will lose. So that's why I suggest in the books that we come up with some kind of data licensing for training these models so that we can have vibrant voices from all around the world in all different languages that will go into these models. Yeah, in terms of the, I don't spend every day going, yay, AI is amazing. (laughs) But I do think that, and Kevin Kelly says it as well in the book, The Inevitable, which is just fantastic. He says 51% of humans, the world, everything is good. And if we can just keep it on the 51%. (laughs) (laughs) That's the definition of an optimist. Then we're going to be okay. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But the other thing is that people, you have to engage with it. So if there is something you're scared of, then engage with it. So, right. for example, I do think there are massive problem problems with ethics. Mm-hmm. I do think there are problems with some companies making way too much money, even though I use those companies myself to make money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the only way I can change that is by being involved and engaging in the situation. And try. And I was I was pretty nervous about putting out this book. Because I don't have a PhD in AI. I don't I don't have my degrees in theology. <laughs> <laughs> but I have a vested interest in this working. I'm 45 years old. I expect to be doing this for at least another half of my life. Mm-hmm. So how can we do this to benefit the creators, but also the readers, the consumers, and also the models and the future of whatever this may be? Yeah, there's real leverage if you get in at this point with yes. understanding and concerns about, like you say, your segment, what matters. Let's talk about the third uh, piece in the title, the VR. One of the ideas that fascinated me, you talk about a, a virtual reality bookstore and how that might happen. Sketch that scene. That sounds like a place I want to go. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny because I wrote that in the future book back in 2015. When I first tried a Oculus headset, so basically you put it on, if people don't know, you put it on and it does cover your head enough that your visual field is going to essentially think that you're in a real place. That's the idea of virtual reality. So mm-hmm. you are moving out of your physical space into a virtual space. And the technology has come on so much like the changes in optics are what now make this even more even better than it's ever been. And what we've seen this year, again, the pandemic year is an acceleration in the adoption of these technologies in business, training, gaming has been around for a while, but this is moving into other spheres. So for me, and then there have been examples of musicians and various people running events in gaming platforms like Roblox, um, Fortnite, doing concerts, using these spaces that are essentially gaming platforms as virtual world 
spaces for events. Mm -hmm. And this is just awesome. <laughs> and the way, because it enables scale, you can have a million people at your online concert in Fortnite or Roblox, which you can't do on Zoom. Mm -hmm. You can also monetize it in a very different way. So what I think about in terms of coming back to the bookstore, <laughs> again, it's just such a tiny example, don't you think? We should be thinking much bigger, but for our domain, a physical bookstore within a virtual world. We all accept a certain, well, most of us accept a certain trade-off in terms of the data that people know about us for targeted advertising or offers. So for example, Amazon, you and I both buy a lot of books from Amazon digitally and physically. They know our preferences very well. I also use Waterstones, which I use a card, a loyalty card. So they know my preferences too. So let's say I go into Waterstones for want of being more specific. So I go in my virtual headset, I go to the Waterstones site, I walk in and instead of it being like most bookstores, physical bookstores, there are only certain sections I want to visit. Like I don't, my husband likes war books. I don't. So I'm never going to shop in that section. So why is that whole section of the store or crafting? I'm not going to be knitting or co cozy mysteries. No, thank you. Like most of a bookstore is not targeted at you physically in a physical store. But if I walk into this uh, virtual store, it knows my history. Uh -huh. It knows what I like. And it is, I am going to spend so much money in there. Don't you reckon? Yes, there's going to yes. be all these shelves. And I'm like, oh, and then as soon as I reach out so you can reach out in, a, in the physical realm you're going to touch something in a virtual realm and maybe it will open up and I can read it I can <laughs> zoom in maybe I could watch a video with the author and then I'm like yeah I'll have that and I'll swipe it into my shopping basket or whatever and then it learns something about me and then it offers me more yeah. and then it offers me more so what you're in is a much more immersive retail space but also this means if, if we met at a virtual conference it just means the whole space can become a way to do better targeted marketing and better digital to physical retail. Now, again, you could see this as a negative thing, but in terms of publishing and book sales, it's tremendously positive to think you cannot stock many books in a physical bookstore, even your some of your really massive Barnes and Nobles. Yeah. You just can't. So the only way to do it in a personalized, super targeted way that still engages our visuals, cortex, you could even you can even do haptics now, you can do smell, you can have the old books smell <laughs> if you like. Even if you're a secondhand uh, antiquarian bookstore, you could create your beautiful shelves like that. So I, I just see it as a way instead of just the online shopping experience that we have now which is a 2d screen and you click and that 2d image appears in your home as a physical book this would actually be a much more immersive experience and i think will drive many more book sales mm -hmm. and much more purchasing than even the physical realm because you just can't find stuff and what my experience of VR, just experimenting it is, I'm amazed at how easy it is to trick my mind into believing that I'm in this space. I'm looking around 360 and whether it's a game or, or different things, and it's still pretty crude. It's a little blurry, to, at least to my eyesight. It's heavy. It makes me sweat when I wear it. But as you start thinking about it getting lighter and clearer and all of this, it, it already convinces most of my mind that my reality has changed. And if I think five, 10 years in the future, these kinds of experiences are just going to be so vivid. You'll really have to pinch yourself to figure out which world you're in. 
Yeah, I think, and I, I put in the book that the hopefully I'm an Apple shop generally, and the Apple headset is rumored to be coming, and the glasses in 2021-22. So let's say by 2022, you've got whatever the first generation of Apple mm. headset is, and we both know that their strength is in design. And instead of it's a bit like you're wearing headphones that go over your head, and I'm wearing these little earbuds. You, there'll be different designs of glasses and headsets that will change the experience already the latest facebook one the verge oculus verge or something like that quest oculus two. quest yeah mm -hmm. is already self-contained yep and it's lighter so, it's uh, yeah it's, it's lighter nice. so yeah, what we're looking at, and even I put in the book, these contact lenses, they're more AR, so augmented reality, but I wore contact lenses for 20 years and I can just stick stuff in my eyes. So I'm like, I'm up for that it, because that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. But what I think we're going to see is this sort of these different experiences that people will have. And I was listening to this, this guy speak at Wired and I'm not a gamer, so I'm not someone who does a lot of this stuff anyway. But the way he was describing what's going to happen in virtual worlds is that it will be a whole nother economy that people will do their jobs in virtual worlds. Mm. Like people now are sitting in Zoom and Slack from their various places that they might sit within their virtual world office or environment that you and I, instead of meeting over Skype, might meet on some nice Florida beat and have a chat <laughs> in our virtual space and I think that at the moment again most people's experience of this stuff is gaming so it's Ready Player One for example um, the movie and it's sci-fi things but the reality is that this is moving into spaces that are around education around workplaces and the other thing that's brilliant given some of the, especially in America the, the race issues of this year what is fascinating is that in a virtual space you can control your what you look like, what your skin color is, whether you're even a human at all, hmm. you can control your gender or how, how you display yourself. So what this guy was saying is these virtual worlds can break down the barriers that humans have. We instinctively have wired into us right. around if we're at a conference and we see someone we judge them hmm. by whatever we judge them <laughs> you yeah. know we can't help that so much of it is deeply wired but what this these virtual worlds will change that and yeah. i i love that i think that's almost very magical. freeing yeah it is yeah you talked about your expectation that before 2030 you'll probably be giving a presentation in a virtual world when you picture yourself in that setting talking about your work, will you be presenting differently because you're not at a book show or something that we're used to? And how do you think it would affect the creative act of communicating with people as a speaker? What I hope is that there will be some kind of help in the experience let's say let's just assume it is an auditorium in a virtual space so i can see the avatars of people who were there so it's just like a normal talk but in a virtual space but what i would like as a speaker 
is to be able to register, to be able to choose the settings. I don't want to see bubbles coming up from people's yeah. heads going, she's terrible or she's amazing. <laughs> That's not what I mean. But I would like to know more about my audience. So mm. when I normally speak, I will aim to get there early and I'll often walk around and I'll just say, hi, why are yeah. you here? And I'll try and find some anecdotes so that I can make it very, and I'll, just to find out who's there. So mm -hmm. I would see that as a speaker, as an event organizer, you will be able to tailor your materials so much more right. and that I hope you know what I've spoken a lot on zoom this year it's pretty awful to mm. be honest you can't most people have their cameras off for mm -hmm. a start and often or they've got some image or whatever so it's not a nice experience. It's effective, but I don't think it's nice as a speaker. What you want is the ability to get some feedback. Mm -hmm. So what you would hope in a VR space is that it's more like a physical space in that you can see people's reactions, perhaps find out more about them. So I might have a setting that would say, what genre do people, mm -hmm. let's say I'm writing, doing a talk on how to write uh, a novel. Yeah. <laughs> I want to see, like, maybe I can color code yeah, avatars. Right. Yeah, and they're the horror mm -hmm. writers. And if I see that the room is mainly full of horror writers, I'm going to talk differently yeah. than if the room is full of romance writers. I'll use different examples. Or, for example, if I'm speaking, I'll tell you one of my biggest issues when I speak is how many books do people have? Because it is a very different talk that I give to an audience of writers who've all written over 10 books sure. than an audience of people who've never even written a book. Mm -hmm. And what's surprising at most of these conferences is a lot of the people have never even written written a book ah. whereas the people who've written 10 books are not sitting in the audience yeah. they're off writing, writing books so I often end up having to change the what I'm talking about to kind of not dumb it down but it's a different level make it more appropriate to, for them yeah yeah, make it make the material more appropriate. And as a speaker, that's your job is to make give the audience what they need. And you can only do that the more you say, I and this is about augmented reality, too, which I think is possibly even more exciting, because I can see it working in my daily life. So if I wear my nice Apple glasses, <laughs> gorgeous frames, yes. platinum frames or something, <laughs> and I'm walking around London Book Fair, for example, so I have a lot of my audience support me financially. They've either bought my books, courses, they support my Patreon. I would love a little arrow yeah, that yeah. says, here's one of your patrons. That'd be genius. Like, not, not, yeah, not just be nice to that person, mm -hmm. but this person writes this and does that. Or let's say you're looking to license your work. This person has a publishing company out of India. Go yeah. and talk to that person. Right, right. I mean, you know what conference, conferences are right pain to find oh, the yeah, right you're, people. You're and changing business cards and yes, it'd be yes. like speeding that whole process up. The other thing I can imagine, I'm, I'm experimenting with this Halo uh, health oh, yeah. band from Amazon. You you could be getting a reading on the, the heart rate of your audience and any particular thing or, or what talk are you giving is that is this a romance conference no, as your enthusiasm for the future rises you would the, i would expect the heart rate the average heart rate of the audience to go up a bit oh i hope so yeah well, mine is but but no i totally get what you mean it's yeah. actually interesting so i'm wearing an apple watch and actually today in the uk they just launched a apple fitness which integrates with the heart rate monitor on my watch yeah. so this is how cool is this? Is totally integrating our health. And you and I both love this stuff. And I absolutely acknowledge that they are taking my health data. Yeah. Yeah. And I am happy for them to do that because I'm getting the benefits. And so this is where all of this stuff comes into play is how much 
are we willing to share or ready to share in order for the benefits of what we will get by sharing? So the bookshop example is a good one. I would much rather share more data about my purchases so that I am offered more books that I want to buy. And that's why Amazon does so, because it keeps just emailing us with, you want this and this? Yes, Mm -hmm. please. Mm -hmm. So... I I think that's a really interesting way. But all of the what we're talking about here, we've talked about loads of different domains of technology. They're not all the same thing. But what they are is what they're calling converging technologies. And on the back of 5G, off the back of the pandemic and adoption of digital for people who weren't adopting digital, they're all coming into play. Some people have said that this year has accelerated development that would have taken five to 10 years Hmm. in down to a sort of 18 month timeframe. That's what, yeah, that's what's just incredible about the speed at which things are happening and why, like you say, I put this book out a couple of weeks ago and already a whole load of things have changed. For example, uh, there's another chapter on audiobooks narrated by AI. Now, Google Play two days ago, started selling AI narrated audiobooks. Yeah. And today, and we talked about AI assisted translation, Alexa can now do multiple language translation mm-hmm. on the fly. So this is not 10 years time. This really is how starting to happen, starting to happen now. And I would think too, I was going to ask you, uh, the pandemic, I can understand why it sped up the convergence and the rate of change. But having set that speed, even if we get to the other side of the vaccine and we're approaching something like normal life, perhaps late next year, early 2022, would you expect the world to to breathe a sigh of relief and go back to a slower rate of technological change? Or does this just become the new normal thanks to the pandemic? I don't think it's going back in the box. And I don't think it it was a lot of things were already moving fast. GPT-3, for example, being 18 months after GPT-2. And I think about it as GPT-X, which Mm. the iterations ahead of us. But so for one thing, it has changed behavior in so many ways. For example, my mum, who doesn't like doing video, now has Zoom. I'm going to zoom so and so in her vocabulary. Yeah, yeah. She she got Netflix. For, she hadn't got Netflix before, so mm. she got Netflix. She's 74. She's not into tech at all, mm-hmm. and she started to adopt some of these things. Then you've got people who have resisted, like in publishing, people who've resisted ebooks, like mm. not you and me, clearly, <laughs> but people are like, oh, I really need to read something. Oh, I guess I should try this ebook mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. <laughs> or this audiobook thing. So, audiobooks in some European countries now have overtaken ebook sales, which is just crazy. And that's going to continue. So, what we're seeing is, and again, you're in America and I'm in the UK, and these are quite digitally developed. Mm-hmm. economies but what we're seeing i was reading about india which is just fascinating india went to more digital payments a couple of years ago and in this pandemic they have moved much more into uh, online purchasing and things like credit cards and stuff is starting to happen in these economies where it has not been really adopted so far or another country like france which is possibly the most protected with its physical bookstores and all that france spain italy we've seen a huge growth in digital purchasing this year because people have not been able to go to a bookstore and so those people won't go back both you and i once we adopted ebooks yes we still read physical books mm-hmm. but 
a large chunk of that reading does not go back. I haven't read a, a physical newspaper for many years. I read three different newspapers on apps on my phone. So all these, if I don't listen to the radio, I listen to podcasts, people's behavior is not going to go back. People aren't going to rush back to the office. I don't know about there, but people are saying here that are oh, like to go back to the office, but not five days a week. So it might be three days a week, for example, or something like that. But other people have moved. I hear Las Vegas, for example, even though the entertainment economy is pretty screwed at the moment, the housing market has gone nuts because oh. people can now live there right. and they can get to like San Francisco reasonably easily. I think you can drive, can't you, from it's so. quite a way. But, but people's behavior, its this has gone on long enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look, people's behavior has changed. And then the other thing is that we've got companies like Google's, DeepMind, we've got OpenAI, which now uh, has licensed GPT-3 and its other stuff to Microsoft. Mm -hmm. What we're starting to see is changes that are going to change this underlying architecture. And that is only going to continue. As we mentioned, the Digital Services Act, I think it's called that whatever it is, the EU one, yeah. Facebook has to solve this problem. Yeah. Amazon has to solve this problem. Right. And when those companies have to solve a problem, that's when these big changes just get pushed through regardless. And then we have to jump on board. So what may happen is you might find Instagram, every photo you upload is registered on the blockchain. Oh. That automatically because right. Facebook have to know yeah. that where it came from and so it's registered to you as a user so this is an economy of trust this will fix deep fakes this will fix plagiarism mm -hmm. and piracy and all these things so I don't know it's a very huge thing but the convergence I think is what we need to consider and like we talked about with how do you explain it to people you just say remember 1995 or remember what it was like when you had one of those little Nokias that wasn't a smartphone it was just a little Nokia or before that when you didn't even have a cell phone and look at how our so much of our world happens on the internet what is the next internet what is the next electricity and that is going to be the you know blockchain artificial intelligence this is going to drive the next economy and so retraining, being aware of what's going on, taking advantage, playing. I think the attitude of play is really important. And you know, I think optimism is important too. Some things will die. Die is an unfortunate word. <laughs> Some, like, for example, I was walking in Bath earlier. There's a big um, department store called Debenhams. I guess it's a bit like Macy's or uh -huh. something like that. It's gone bankrupt. It's a department store. Department stores are pretty much over. They're gone. That has that has finished, and they've been on our British High Street for over a hundred years, and they are gone. And something else rises in its place, and I, that's where I feel we are, which is something is rising, and let's surf that change rather than drown in it. <laughs> I love that image. You, you picked that up from Kevin Kelly, and I I, I don't think I'd <laughs> seen it. And but when a wave comes, you can either surf it or drown in it, and it's all. Timing. I do body surfing on waves in, in Maine, and the difference between jumping at the right time or being too late, too early, it's almost infinitesimal. Even as much as I've done it, I, I've never done any like real surfing, but the moment you jump in, and it's probably each person has, I don't know. If I'm going to use this metaphor, one person doesn't get to jump on a wave at a different time than another person. There's only one right time to jump on a wave and get the ride. And uh, so I think 
Yeah, I think more. Perhaps it's more of a tide than the tide is yeah, coming in. The tide is, and, yeah. and it will lift the boats. But also, right. if you're tied to the anchor of the yeah, old way, that's where you drown. <laughs> that's where you drown. And also, I think it's it can either be a pleasant experience and something that you can embrace, yeah. or you can resist it and get really wet and miserable. And I think that. We have to have this attitude. Otherwise, as I said, things will be forced upon us. And a lot of people are asking me at the moment, so what can I do right now? And I'm like, actually, there's not much you need to do right now. This is what's happening is it's it that tide is slowly creeping in. And it's what I'm doing is saying, look at what's coming. And I'm going to try and navigate it. And I will talk about it because that's what I do. And I'll tell you what works, what doesn't work for me. Uh, inevitably, I'm usually early. So if I say it's going to be two years, it will probably be five years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So well, that's interesting with both you and I, but both you and I have also seen the podcasting that we've both been doing for a decade. Right is now huge. Yeah. It's now gone nuts. So mm-hmm. we were a decade. Were we early? I don't. Uh, yes, we were early. But we if we weren't, if we hadn't have been early, we would not have the platforms that we have now and the listeners that we have now. So being early is sometimes good. But equally, I'm a businesswoman. So I'm an artist and I'm a businesswoman. And I fully intend to make really good cash <laughs> out of this next wave. Yeah. And so I have a creative interest I have a business interest and I have a curious side mm-hmm. like you. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I'm staying on top of this. I, I read the financial news all the time. I'm reading books about things. I need to take a next step with my own career. So that's the way I'm going. But yeah, who knows what, whether we'll be talking like this in a decade or in some virtual space. <laughs> that's right. We get to choose which beach we want to meet on next time. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, this has been so much fun. I have been speaking with Joanna Penn, author of Artificial Intelligence, Blockchain, and Virtual Worlds, The Impact of Converging Technologies on Authors and the Publishing Industry. Thanks very much, Joanna. Thanks for having me, Len. Before we go, I'd like to say how renewed I felt about technology in the future after my conversation with Joanna Penn this week. I love the idea that Apple may well be the one to lead the way in designing VR headsets or glasses that finally unlock the power of new virtual worlds. And I love looking forward to what pioneering authors like Joanna will create in partnership with ever more powerful language machines like GPT-3. And who knows, maybe there will be an AI partner out there who will help me to take the podcast to a new level. I will also give up my efforts to explain how blockchain works after talking with Joanna, and I'm instead going to look forward to simpler and easier ways for regular people to use and benefit from it. I highly recommend Joanna's uh, Creative Pen podcast. It's released every Monday, and it's a great mix of interviews, personal updates on her writing, and as she said, glimpses of the future that she includes, I think, every other week or so. This is Len Edgerly for the Kindle Chronicles from Sanibel Island, Florida. I really appreciate your listening to my podcast. Have a great day. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes and show notes available at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. You can also get your free author blueprint at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. If you'd like to connect, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen or find me on Facebook at The Creative Pen. 
See you next time. <laughs>